This recording is being posted on our website for November the 8th, and we're going to begin with a statement made in Isaiah chapter 31 and verse 1. I'll give you the historical context, and then I'll read Isaiah 31 verse 1, and we'll make our case and begin our study there. The historical context is God's people are facing a threat from the Assyrians at this time. Now, what are God's people to do when under threat, in distress, facing perhaps more distress? Rely on God. Keep trusting and obeying Him. Let's see what Judah did facing the Assyrian threat. Isaiah chapter 31 and verse 1. It says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Now, even before you dig up all the history, just reading Isaiah 31 verse 1, you know immediately, it's very clear, this was wrong and it showed their rebellion against God. Let me put all this in historical context. Would you consider that God had delivered his nation from Egyptian bondage and had given them the promised land? And now in the time of Isaiah, the Assyrians are poised to attack, and God's people don't turn to God for help. They turn to Egypt. Judah was God's nation, not just another nation. God had redeemed these people out of Egypt, given them the land of Canaan, and made promises to them never made to any other nation. Now, facing imminent danger, they leave God out of their plans to act on their own in concert with Egypt, trusting Egypt to help them, to save them. That's exactly what Isaiah describes and condemns in Isaiah 31, verse 1. Here's what I'm going to call that. Help that doesn't help. And to be certain this sermon goes where it needs to go, I have a target audience, a pretty broad target audience. It's very inclusive. I'm talking today to anyone who fits into this description. You are a Christian, but you're not finished. You are a work in progress, and every day in your service to God, you are aware you need help. It may be some besetting sin you have struggled with over many years. There may be some attitude or bitterness that you entertain that's holding you back that you really need to resolve. Perhaps it is just a general deficiency, an absence of zeal. But every day in our service to God, you are aware, I'm aware, we need help. The question we're going to address is, where are we going to get the help we need? There are threats and temptations and stress. Could be in your life some warning signals that you really need to respond to now. This study is designed to make certain you know and I know and we are warned that there is such a thing as help that doesn't help.
We need clarity from Scripture about where we get good help. See, there are remedies that make it worse. There are solutions that become problems. There are fixes that are false or fake, superficial solutions that create more problems. The title of this study is, based on Isaiah 31, verse 1, Help That Doesn't Help. I have examples. You have your Bible ready. The next passage I'm going to bring up, Colossians 2, 23. Today, it often happens when people are in trouble, they rush to the bookstore looking for a book that has some big secret. I believe I've seen this in Barnes and Noble many times. Someone comes into the store and you detect a frantic pace as they move quickly to the self-help section and they browse the titles. And there is this common idea that is emerging in their behavior that for every problem, somebody has published a book for that. And if you can just find the latest book about that problem, and you can just get your hands on the secret that the author reveals, you've got the help you need. That's typical modern thinking. We like it when the author gives easy steps. One, two, and three, problem solved. We want it to be quick and convenient, and that's often the way books are marketed. I looked through Amazon one time, and here's some of the titles I found. Three steps to get to the next level in your career. Three steps to turn passion into profit. Three steps to change your limiting beliefs. We like simple steps in books with slick, nicely done covers. So we go hunting in Barnes and Noble sometimes for help that doesn't help. Someday I'll muster up the courage to go over to one of those seekers and take them by the hand over to the Bible section. Reading good books on the market is one thing. I do that. We do that. But if we think human authors and publishers have some secret that God has withheld from us, that God didn't tell us in his book, that's just not the case. And when we seek that kind of help, it is help that doesn't help. It's like the Jews going to Egypt to get help against the Assyrians. Colossians 2.23 is a warning to us today about being attracted to and deceived by human wisdom. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion of asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. There is not at Amazon or Barnes & Noble some recently published book that will give you some big secret that will solve all your problems. If the book tells you the truth, and directs you to the Creator and His remedies, that can have some value, but you'll have to open the real book that God gave you. I tell you, folks, nobody has better answers than God. There is no help like the help you can get from God, from His Word. Whatever you're dealing with, there is nothing equal to the help that comes from God. If somebody tells you they have found something that works better than God's Word, 
Please know that just isn't true. Next point. Sometimes when people know they're not right with God, having some deficiency or need, and someone tries to show them the way to repentance, they think it will help to attack the rebuker. Sometimes this is called kill the messenger, if not literally in hostile responses to rebuke and rejection of the truth. There are cases in the Bible when the prophets of God brought God's message to the people. The prophets were persecuted and threatened and rejected, treated poorly. When John the Baptist spoke the truth to Herod about his adultery, John's head was removed. Same thing with Stephen. They didn't like what these men said, what they stood for, what they exposed in them, so they killed them. The Apostle Paul as well, who once wrote these words, Have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? If you know your relationship with God is not what it should be and can be, and someone comes to you with their Bible open, give them your time. Because when they take you to God's Word, you are not just listening to a human rebuke, You're listening to the Creator. Killing the rebuker doesn't help any more than going to Egypt to get help against the Assyrians. When you are in an audience listening to a recording or a live stream or you're in a building and someone stands up or stands in front of a mic and reads and speaks from the Word of God, if the true Word is presented, first, the preacher is doing what he was charged to do. Second, it's good for you, even if it hurts, to give heed to the Word of God, to be corrected, disciplined, and brought to repentance, brought closer to God to be a better person and have an enriched hope. And if you kill the rebuker, if you kill the messenger who is presenting truth to you from God, you're removing yourself from the help from God that can change your life. Sometimes the Bible has to bring us to very uncomfortable places to change us, to take us from the bondage of sin. The truth that hurts can be the truth that helps. Next point. Here's something that doesn't help. I talked about this a few weeks ago in another sermon. There are many who know they are not right with God, and so what they do is turn the conscience volume down. What if God had built into each of us some mechanism, some warning system that would sound an alarm when we sin? Tell a lie, the alarm would go off. Neglect some duty to God, you'd hear that alarm. Fail to serve, engage in the lust of the flesh, gossip, bad attitude, evil word, you hear that alarm. Well, God did that when he made man. He put into us this mechanism to set off the alarm of guilt when we sin. It's called the conscience. And if you program that alarm with God's program, God's standard, and listen and respond when that alarm goes off, that will be good. That will help. But what if, what if you become annoyed with the sound of that alarm? What if you become annoyed with that sound and you just turn the volume down 
and go on with what you were doing. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We need to talk about what happens when you turn the alarm down. Eventually, it doesn't work anymore. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. A seared conscience is burned out by continued sin. To turn the volume on that alarm down is help that doesn't help. Program your conscience alarm with God's word, and when that sound goes off, respond penitently and diligently to keep your heart and life firmly attached to God and his truth. Do you know one benefit of coming to hear a recording of Bible study like this is the opportunity to fine-tune your conscience. I hope you'll do that so that when the alarm goes off, you'll change. You'll listen to that alarm because the alarm is reflecting what you put there from God's Word. When we are drifting away from God, we may come to a place where we are tempted to gather around us companions and teachers who will make us feel good and comfort us in our sin. Surrounding ourselves with prophets of peace. Jeremiah, a prophet of God who suffered extremely harsh treatment from people who were unfaithful to God, wrote about one dimension of their apostasy. He said, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. You know what Jeremiah is talking about? We have a term for it today. When someone wants to continue their adventure in sinful folly with drugs and alcohol or illicit sex or whatever, they often do not surround themselves with good counselors, but rather enablers. People who claim to be your friends, but they say, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it, you're fine. It isn't that serious. You only live once. Everybody's doing it, and I love you. Enablers who claim to provide help that doesn't help. They promise peace where there is no peace. There were men in the time of Jeremiah who contributed to the apostasy of the people by minimizing the sin, by saying everything was all right, peace where there was no peace. I see this on Facebook every day. Someone is not certain they have made the right choice, but it's what they want, and they post their status, and it's obvious they're asking for confirmation. They want to vote. They want the likes to come in and confirm what they have chosen. It may be going to a nightclub to drink the night away because times are hard and work is stressful. It may be leaving a good church for one that isn't bound by Scripture, wanting to hear a friend or two say it's all right, searching for enablers, fishing for people who will say peace where there is no peace. If you begin to sense that you're drifting away from God, let God use his people to keep you safe. Don't grab a book on the bestseller list looking for a quick human fix. Don't turn the alarm of conscience down. And don't surround yourself with enablers 
who soothe you with assurances that are empty. It is help that doesn't help. And there may be some impulse when you know you're in trouble or under pressure, drifting from God, involved in some sin, to try to spend your way out of trouble. Soothe yourself with money. Money is a subject presented to us in the Bible as either something we can use for good or something that can contribute to our downfall. It depends on your perspective, your attitude, your relationship with money. What we have can be used for the glory of God, or it can be used as a ticket away from Him. Just stop and consider some of what God has said. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's Hebrews 13, 5. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That's 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10. We all know people. We all know people who, when under pressure, temptation, or stress, try to soothe themselves by shopping and spending, thinking that money and its exit will just make everything better. First of all, there's no connection between the problem and the perceived solution. The problem is not you're not spending enough money. There's something else going on in your life, so spending money is not a fix. It is a smokescreen, a distraction, often with exorbitant interest. Further, when we treat money and its exit from our lives as a remedy, we act against everything Scripture says about greed, materialism, and faulty values. Money doesn't answer all things. It often becomes a perception of temporary help that becomes permanent damage. God's people thought not of God as their help, but Egypt. And it was help that didn't help, but only advanced them further into trouble. You can read all about this in Isaiah 30 and 31. I've given five examples of help that doesn't help. Human wisdom in some popular book with some alleged secret, attacking the rebuker, turning the volume of conscience down, finding false prophets of peace, and trying to spin your way out of trouble, but it winds up more trouble. Let me take us in conclusion to Acts chapter 26. Paul is speaking to King Agrippa about his life, his work, and message. In verse 26, Paul, with the courage that comes from faith, says to the king, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. The help that comes from God. Whatever your situation today, stress, sin, challenges, frustration, pressure, conflict, there is help perfectly suited to your situation from God. May each of us remember today there is no help better than what God provides. Do you believe this? 
God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That's Psalm 46 and verse 1. We believe, don't we? The cross of Christ is all about God's help to get us out of sin. Have you been to the cross through baptism to be forgiven? Are you letting God through his word help you with your life every day? I repeat, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Thank you.